So this morning, we are beginning a year-long journey through the book of Romans. And this is, I think, a really, I mean, it's a, it's a huge book. It's got so many theological truths and ideas presented in it. It's a, it's a pretty, you know, popular book for believers to study because it has, it's so dense. It's so packed. But I love Romans even more so, not, not just because of those amazing truths that are held within it, but I love it because it is written to a church in Rome, right? That's where the name comes from, right? It's Paul's letter to the church in Rome. But he's writing to a group of people who are so much like us, right? He's writing to this group of believers, people he had never met, a church that he didn't help found, but he's writing to these people and he's addressing them as essentially world changers. Like he's writing to them because he knows that they are in a highly influential city that is consistently sending people out to change the world. And honestly, I cannot think of a better description of where we are, where God has placed us here in Bryan College Station. We have tremendous opportunity to, to influence our community for the gospel, but not even just that, but to prepare to go out to the far corners of this world and bring that good news of salvation to everyone. We can change the world from Bryan College Station. It's been happening for years and years, and we are a part of that. But what was important for the church in Rome to understand was that the core of their ministry, right, the foundation of their work, was founded entirely upon a full understanding of the gospel. That's what we're gonna see time and time again through the book of Romans, is that, of Romans, is that it's really, it's about an understanding, having a better understanding of the gospel, meaning the good news of Jesus Christ. And that it's only when we are able to really fully understand how this good news affects every aspect of life, that's when we are prepared, that's when we are able to go and be effective ministers of this gospel. Because goodness gracious, we're gonna see this week in and week out. As we study this book, verse by verse, chapter by chapter, week by week, we are going to find that this gospel message is such good news. It is the best news we've ever received. It's the best news that we'll ever share. And this is really important because, you know, in our lives, there's a lot of times that we might hear big news that's not always the best news, right? I remember walking into my uh, freshman year at Texas A&M, and I thought, I was like, you know what, I'm gonna come in here. I signed up for 17 hours as an incoming freshman. I know, I've said this before, everyone's still shaking their head, right? Because... I thought, like, I was like, this is it, right? But over the course of that semester, even though I was like, I did okay in high school, like, you know, whatever, um, I discovered, right, there's, there's kind of big news that I had to process, which was essentially, uh, Jacob, you're dumb, right? And so as I walked through that first semester, there was big news that I had to process. I, I looked at those syllabi, and I took those tests, and I was like, you know what? I think I bit off more than I could chew, right? That big news wasn't really the best news. And this happens to us a lot in life, right? In new seasons, uh, in new relationships, we might get dropped in, maybe even just this past week, you might have received really big news that wasn't actually your favorite. It wasn't actually that great. It happens to us, it happened to this family, or this little girl, uh, seen right here. Did you think it's a a little brother or a little sister you're getting? It's a brother. A brother? And what do you want to name him? Tarzan. Tarzan. Yeah, I mean, are you able to see it bubble over? <gasps> what does that mean, Kenzie? It's a sister. It is a sister. Are you upset? Oh, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> you don't want to 
little sister. But you'll have a little sister. Boys are disgusting. It's true. It's very true. As a boy raising two little boys, it's true. We're disgusting. And sometimes that big news isn't always the best news. And yet what's so amazing is that the gospel, this good news of Jesus Christ, it really is. Not only is it big, but it is best. And I'll tell you why. What we're gonna find time and time again in the book of Romans, especially here in Romans chapter one, right in the opening of the book, is we're gonna discover that the gospel is such great, it is the best news. Why? Because it makes the broken new. Because it transforms what was broken and fallen, and it redeems it. And it gives us a new life. It gives us a new perspective. It gives us a new identity, a new community, and a new dependency on the Lord. That's what the gospel does for us, is it takes what was broken and it makes it new. And this is the power of our salvation, right? This is the power of the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. And this speaks to every single one of us because all of us have been broken. We recognize that this world is broken, that we are broken by sin, and that this affects our view of pretty much everything, right? Our view of ourselves, it is broken by shame. Our view of others, it's broken by strife, by friction and frustration. Our view of God is often broken because of this idea of self-sufficiency that we carry into every day of this world. And so it's so amazing. Praise God that he has given us this good news that provides for us, as I said, this new identity, this new community, and this new dependency on the Lord of all. This is what we find in Romans chapter one. If you'll turn to Romans chapter one, starting in verse one, we're gonna be in the first 17 verses. So I encourage you to go there in your Bible or go there on your phone. We'll also have the verses on the screen. But Romans chapter one, verse one begins like this. From Paul, a slave of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. Paul's introducing himself to people he never met, right? This is a church he'd never been to, he never visited. Uh, he didn't know these people personally. And so he knew that as he begins to write to them this letter, he's gonna have to spend a little bit extra time establishing who he is, right? It's that, that moment where you're sending the first text message to someone whose number you got, right? You can't just lead off with like, yo, to, you wanna get pizza or whatever. Like, or maybe you do. You got a lot of riz, right? Um, but maybe... I don't know. Oh gosh, no, I'm, okay. Okay, so <laughs> you, you, when you first reach out to someone, what do you say? You have to say, hey, this is Jacob, and I met you the other day, or, you know, or I've got, you know, I'm, I'm this guy from this class. I'm the, Paul is essentially, he's saying, look, this is, this is who I am. He says, this is the most important thing you need to know about me. I'm Paul, and then he doesn't list like his accomplishments. He doesn't list like the things that he's done in his life or where he's from, uh, who his parents are. What does he do? He says, I'm Paul, but more importantly, I am a slave of Christ Jesus. I'm a bond servant. I, I have been bound to the Messiah, the chosen one, Jesus. And I've been called to be an apostle, meaning that I have been sent out, right? Literally the apostle is one who is sent. I've been sent from Jesus Christ to serve and I've been set apart for what? For the gospel, the good news of God. Says, this is why I'm here. Says, I'm writing to you because, yeah, I'm Paul, but also I belong to Jesus Christ. 
And I'm his sent one. I am his apostle. And I've been set apart. Literally this term, the setting apart, means I'm holy. It's the same concept. I've been set apart. I am holy for the gospel of God. It says that's why I'm here. One of the things I loved about being at Texas A&M University was that I got to, you get to know people really, really quick. Part of that you have a lot of time, but another part of it is that you have these kind of really clear trajectories that you can share with one another because you're talking about your majors, right? There's a lot of, confusion and there's kind of muddy waters as you get older and, and further in life, right? There's a lot more complexity to where you're headed. But when you're in college, gosh, there's, it's beautiful how clear it is, right? You would meet someone and say, hey, what, what are you doing? Like, who are you? And they're like, oh, well, I'm, I'm in engineering. I'm like, oh, excellent. I, there's so many more bridges that we could build, right? Like, I'm, thank you for your service, right? Or they would say, I'm, I'm, in, I'm in finance. You're like, oh, wow, okay, great, right? Or they, I'm, I'm, I'm in nutrition, right? I'm studying nutrition. I'm here because I'm, I'm pre-med, or I wanna I help people live healthier lives, or I'm here because I'm taking business calculus, right? <laughs> Praise the Lord, pray for me, right? Like, that's the unspoken request, but there's clarity in those trajectories that we give to one another when we're in school. Paul is bringing us back to the basics. He's not saying what he's studying. He's not talking about you know, his major or his occupation, but he says, this is ultimately really who I am and why I'm here. I am a one who belongs to Jesus Christ, and I'm here for Jesus Christ. I'm here to deliver this good news that God has given to me. This gospel, read on with me in verse two, it's this gospel that he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. Right? He says this isn't all new. He says God has actually been moving us towards this for all of human history. And it is about, it is concerning his son who was a descendant of David with reference to the flesh or according to the flesh. Verse four, who was appointed the son of God in power according to the Holy Spirit by the resurrection from the dead being who? Jesus Christ our Lord. He says, I'm bringing to you this good news of the one who by the flesh is born of as an heir to the throne of the kingdom that God has promised to establish. That's what he's talking about. He says, he's born a descendant of David, meaning by birth, he is an heir to the throne. He says, but it's not just that Jesus came in the flesh. We talked about this two weeks ago when we studied John 1, right? That the word in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. And yet the word was made flesh and dwelt among us so that if we believe in him, we might become children of the Lord most high. Paul says that Jesus came not just in the flesh, but he also came according to the power of the Holy Spirit. That just as through David in this flesh, he is the heir to the throne, because of the power of the Holy Spirit, because of God the Father raising Christ from the dead, he didn't become the Son of God, but he is appointed, or some say declared, the Son of God in power because of this resurrection. There's a shift in our understanding of who Jesus is, not because he lived and died, but there's a shift in our understanding of who he is because he rose. And it's through that resurrection that we have to acknowledge that yes, according to the flesh, he was heir to the throne, but by the power of the spirit, according to the spirit, he is Lord of all. Jesus Christ, our Lord, the one to whom Paul belongs, the one that Paul preaches about. And Paul says in verse five, he says, it's through him that we have received grace 
and our apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith among all the Gentiles on behalf of his name. He says that we have come to you because God has entrusted us with this good news. And so we are presenting to you this grace. We're presenting to you this message so that you might have this obedience of faith. And there's discussion among biblical scholars around it. What exactly does this mean? Does this mean the obedience that follows faith? Right, the, gen- the way that these words are linked, uh, these terms are linked in the Greek, there's, there's open to interpretation. I think what is most reasonable is what Paul is talking about is he says this is the faith, the obedience that is faith, so to speak. He's saying we've br- brought to you this gospel so that you might respond correctly, that you would respond in obedience by believing in the name of Jesus Christ, for reasons that we'll get into. He says, but we have come to you, we've, we're seeking to bring about this obedience of faith, and now you also are among them. See, this is what's so amazing. Paul's saying, this isn't just my identity that I'm laying out for you. It's not even just the identity of Jesus Christ, who I just explained. He says, I've come to you as one who belongs to Christ. Christ, the one who came in flesh and in spirit, in power, is, but now you, verse six, you also are among them called to belong to Jesus Christ. He says this is an identity that we all now have. For all of us who believe, who have responded to this message with faith, he says you now belong to Christ just like me. To all those loved by God in Rome, called saints, Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. He says, brothers, sisters, this is who we are. Not just who I am, not just who he is, but this is who we are. We are now, through the power of the gospel, a people who are loved and led by God. That's the identity given to Paul. That's the identity given to all who believe. Right? This is amazing news because when we think about changing identities, when we think about transforming who we are, many times we think of it in this earthly lens that, that often involves a process and procedure. Right? I remember when my wife and I got married uh, just over 13 years ago, my wife Susan, she was formerly Susan Walters. It's an okay name. After we got married... She now could become Susan Smith, the most generic name. <laughs> Smiths, who one day we will all be them. Resistance is futile, right? That's, it's coming. We're coming for you. But she had to transition from being Susan Walters into Susan Smith. And I'll tell you that that transition took a lot of effort. It wasn't just that we got married, right? Because that was part of it, right? A very important part was we had to go to the county clerk. We said, hey, we wanna get married. They're like, are you brother and sister? They're like, no. They're like, okay. And then they give us a marriage license. It's a thing. And so then we had to get that marriage license signed by a minister, sent back to the county clerk who had to stamp it and be like, yeah, they're definitely not brother and sister. And so then we're legally married. But... It's still not done. She has not yet taken on the new name. We then realize, oh, okay, it's not just enough for her to get that marriage license, stand on the courthouse and be like, I am Susan Smith. I mean, that would have been super cool. Maybe we'll do it someday, but that wouldn't have been enough. She then had to go to the social security office. She then had to go to the DMV. She had to go to our bank. Like she had to go to all of these different places or we had to go to all these different places and we had to fill out these certain forms. We had to go in a certain order. And it was really through weeks and weeks and weeks of effort and steps that eventually 
she finally had her name changed. Her identity was reset. And for all of us, when we think about changing our identity, we think about a process. We're like, oh, I want to, you know, be faster or stronger. I want to be smarter. Like, I want to change these things about me. And so I've got to walk through these huge processes. Paul is casting all that aside. Like, is there growth and transformation in the life of a believer? You betcha. Is Paul going to talk about that a lot in the book of Romans? For sure. But he says that the identity of being one who is loved and led by God, that's not a process. That's not a procedure. That doesn't take forms and regulations. It doesn't mean that we have to submit things and wait two weeks to hear back with it notarized. Paul says, if you have believed in Jesus Christ, now you are called saint. Now you are set apart. It's done. And so, yes, I am called by the Lord to grow and to change, to be transformed by the renewing of my mind and my spirit, to be more in the image of Jesus Christ, for sure. But all of that growth, all of that transformation, it is not in pursuit of a new identity. It is all from the, uh, the reception of a new identity. So this is the truth we have to come back to so often because so often we have shame and fear and doubt that creeps in and distorts our view of ourselves where we wanna convince ourselves that, gosh, maybe God can't really love me because I've made these mistakes because I have these current struggles because I'm fearful of where I'm headed. But the truth of the gospel is that it has overcome our past penalty of sin. It overcomes the present power of sin. It overcomes the future presence of sin. The gospel overwhelms and defeats that enemy. And so, yes, will I still struggle? Yes, will I still have to build in accountability and, and, and listen to the Lord and walk by the being filled by his spirit? Yes. But it is all an outflow of the fact that I am a son of God, that nothing can destroy that relationship. This is where Paul's gonna get in Romans 8, that nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. That's why there is no condemnation for anyone who calls on his name. And so because of the gospel, we're free from that shame because we now believe not because we behave, not because we did these right things. It's because we believe that we are now made children of God, adopted out of sin and death, no longer children of wrath, but instead adopted into the family of God, sons and daughters of the Lord Most High. Amen? This is who we are. Sons and daughters of God. What an amazing, miraculous gift that is given to us by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. Paul says, you have been set apart because you believe. And now as we come together with this new identity, what's amazing, what Paul's about to affirm in verse eight is that when the people of God join together, it's not just a bunch of new individuals. He says, this is a brand new community. Read with me in verse eight. He says, first of all, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you. Why? Because your faith is proclaimed throughout the whole world. He says, man, I've heard about you. I haven't met you yet. I haven't been there. He says, but I've heard about your faith. I've heard about the work of your hands, about the message you proclaim. Your reputation precedes you, essentially. 
since you have been at work and your faith has been proclaimed throughout the whole world, right? This is true. We've seen this. It's a beautiful thing to behold in certain communities or, or sports fan teams. Like this is something we see in universities like Texas A&M. Like we, you can drive south on Highway 6 and right about when you hit like the old San Antonio road or whatever, like you get to a point, the OSR, you say, you, if you're quiet in your car, try this. If you're really quiet in your car, as you cross this kind of mystical barrier, you hear, it's, it's real, try it, try it, and then don't tell me how it goes, right? That's, there's, there's, a, there's an aura, there's, a, there's, a, there's an environment, there's a, an atmosphere of certain communities, certain groups, certain organizations, certain universities. Paul says, your atmosphere has spread through the whole world. And so I am thankful to our God because of you, because of this work he's performing amongst you and beyond you. For God, verse nine, whom I serve in my spirit is in the gospel of his son. He, God, is my witness that I continually remember you. And I always ask in my prayers if perhaps now at last I may succeed in visiting you according to the will of God. He says, I've, I've wanted to be with you. He says, but but there's been other work. We're gonna get to that in a minute. He says, there's been other things that I've had to do for the sake of the gospel. He says, but God knows that I am consistently, constantly praying for you, not just expressing thanks for you, but asking the Lord that he would bring us together. Verse 11, for I long to see you, that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. I wanna come to you because I wanna care for you. He says, but also verse 12, that is, that we may be mutually comforted by one another's faith, both yours and mine. Paul's saying, it's not just that I wanna come to you because I got a lot to tell you. And he also isn't saying, I wanna come to you because I need, I need, I need, I need, right? I want you to fill me up. What does he say? He says, I wanna come to you, brothers and sisters, because we can mutually comfort one another through our faith, through our unity, through this community, that's why I long to be with you. And so, verse 13, he says, I don't want you to be unaware, brothers and sisters, that I often intended to come to you, but I was prevented until now. He says, I've tried, and I wanted to come to you so that I may have some fruit even among you, just as I already have some among the rest of the Gentiles. He says, but here's the thing. I'm a debtor both to the Greeks, to the barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. He says, I've had work from the Lord in other places. This is the only reason I haven't come. So I've wanted to come, but I'm a debtor, meaning literally I have an obligation from the Lord to all these other people. And he uses these terms that to us feel a little strange, but very commonplace, right? The Greek empire that preceded the Roman empire, they felt so good about themselves. They were so self-assured that they said, if you're a Greek, you're a Greek. If you're not a Greek, you're a barbarian, right? Like they just assumed that all the rest of the world the unwashed, uneducated masses. Paul says, I came for those hoity-toities and I came for the barbarians. He says, I came for those who are wise. I came to those who are foolish, whether they know it or not. He says, I've been given this message of the gospel for all people, right? That's the beauty of the gospel. It comes to all people everywhere. There's no upgrade plan. There's no gospel pro. 
There is a message of truth, of salvation, that's presented to all people everywhere. That's why Jesus could tell his disciples, I want you to go to all people, all nations, baptize all of them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach all of them what I've taught you. Show them how to obey. Paul says, I've been given this message to be proclaimed to the entire world. He says, but still, I am eager also to preach this gospel to you who are in Rome. In the Greek here, he's being very intentional. When he talks about eagerness, it's literally the term is prepare, but there were two terms in the Greek for prepared. The first is that, you know, like I'm ready. I'm ready for this thing to happen. The other one is I'm ready for this thing to happen, right? There is this eagerness associated one, now with the other. It's not just saying like I'm, I'm ready for the five-year-old birthday party in my home. I'm ready, right? Like that's not what he's talking about. He's saying, I am ready. I am prepared to preach this gospel among you. Why? Because God has brought us together as this new community. He, we are brothers and sisters. Even though he never met any of these folks, he says, I cannot wait to be with you so that we can mutually strengthen and comfort one another because we are a community created by God with a shared prayer, a shared purpose. This is what God has done. He has brought the world, the nations to himself. When we look at eternity and the splendor and majesty of perfection, God says, I want every tribe, it's every tongue, it's every nation that is gathered. There's diversity in that unity. It's not uniformity, right? We don't all look the same, sound the same, do the same stuff, say the same things. There's diversity, and yet in that diversity, there is unity, there's a shared prayer, there's a shared purpose. Paul says, this is why I desire to be with you, because we're meant to be together. And yet there's a part of us that doesn't always resonate with this ideal. Because when we look at other people, sin has broken that view, it has broken that lens. And strife and frustration, it distorts our view of other people. We see this in our families, in our friend groups, we see it in our church. James tells us that we fight and bicker. Why? Because we don't get what we want. And that's true of all people everywhere. I remember going into college as a freshman. I was living with a guy, I know really, he's our college pastor, Ben Biles. We'd known each other for a very long time. And so I, there weren't a lot of surprises my freshman year. Even though we were in a little tiny dorm room and dirty done, like we were there on South Side and we lived in this little room together, but it wasn't really a shock. Like, it wasn't a shock to my assistant. We'd known each other a long time. We'd, like, slept in each other's houses a ton. Like, we, we kind of knew each other. I did discover that Ben uh, would, didn't like walking on normal floors, the bare floor, and said he liked to walk on clothes um, because he was an emperor, right, who just lay your cloak down. Like, that's what he wanted at all times, the floor of our dorm room. That was new, um, but it's fine. We got through it. But then our sophomore year, we moved in with four other dudes. Thankfully, not in a dorm room, in a house. And when we moved in that house, there was a lot that we had to learn about some different guys. And I'd be lying if I told you it was all great and cheery and I was so gracious and merciful. No, like there was a lot of strife. There was a lot of confusion and conflict. Because we're like, why? Why have you done, what, what do you mean you've been using my towel for four months? <laughs> yeah. That's not a made-up illustration. <laughs> and so there were things that we learned, and there was strife, and there was frustration. That happens in our friend groups, and our families, and even in our church. 
But Paul says, no, I know that sin can still enter. And he says, but your role, your goal as the new community in Christ is to, in fact, commit yourselves to the care and support of one another. He writes to the church in Ephesus and he says that you should count one another's concerns as higher than your own. And that as we work together, this is in Ephesians 4, he says, we build up the body of Christ so as we do that, so Christ, the Lord, will be glorified. So yes, there is frustration, but good news. The gospel gives us a shared prayer. It gives us a shared purpose. And it enables us to look past the little speed bumps. It allows us to build, to right our view of one another, to no longer lower it and think that, that we don't need other people, to not have it on the flip side and think that people are so great and they don't need me. No, we need one another. And so we build up the body. We can do that here at Southwood. If you're a part of Southwood, if you're already invested here, I would encourage you, how are you being used by the Lord to build up our body? One way that we build up is we boldly invite other people from where we work and live and learn and play. We invite those people to come and be a part of this new community to come and visit our small group, our community group, our Bible study, to come and sit with us at church, to come and see and know that the Lord is good. That's one way that we are all a part of building up the body of Christ. We also build it up by serving and sacrificing for the sake of one another. Like I said, those Wednesday morning volunteers that, that enable these women from our, our church to, to study deeply the word of God. There's opportunities to serve all over the place here at Southwood. On our Sunday mornings, you can be in our hospitality team. You can join our prayer team. You can be a part of our worship team, our production team. You can help build up the body so that the Lord would be glorified as we use our gifts and talents that he's entrusted to our care. We can now build something wonderful, not for our sake, not for the name of Grace Bible Church, not for the name of Jacob Smith Teaching Pastor. We are building something for the name of Jesus Christ, the name above all names. We build. And as we build in this new community, what's incredible is that Paul reminds us of the simple truth, this really, this, this hinge passage for the rest of the letter, verses 16 and 17. Paul speaks to our dependency on the Lord as we seek to believe and build as the Lord intends. He says, for I am not ashamed of this gospel because it's the, it is God's power for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Greek first, or sorry, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Paul's about to give a bunch of justifications in a row. If you remember in verse 15, he says that I'm eager to preach this gospel. So verse 16, he says, for, in other words, because, I'm eager to preach because, I'm not ashamed of this gospel. I'm not worried it's not true. I'm not worried it's not effective. I'm not ashamed of this gospel. I'm eager to preach it because I know that this is the good news that God has given to the world. He says, and you know why I'm not ashamed? You know why I know it's good news? Because it is, for it is God's power for salvation to everyone who believes. It says the power of God, the might the sovereignty of the Lord. He says that power that could move mountains, that power that separated seas, that power that wiped out entire civilizations and armies, he says that power is this gospel, this power of salvation for all who believe, not all those who are descendants of Abraham, not to all those who keep 667 different 
rules of the law. He says this power is given, the salvation is provided for anyone who believes, whether you're a descendant of Abraham or not. He says this is what I'm bringing to you. This is why I'm not ashamed because this is the power of God manifested. For the righteousness of God is revealed in the gospel from faith to faith, just as it is written. The righteous by faith will live. Paul says this is what's amazing about our gospel is that it has revealed the righteousness of God. Literally the term here for revealed is apocalypto. This is where we get apocalypse, right? The end of all things. He says literally this term describes the veil being pulled away to reveal something that was previously hidden. And so it's not that we're suddenly realizing, oh, when we see the righteousness of God, again, this is discussed deeply uh, by biblical scholars. But, but I don't think, I'm not convinced that this, is, this righteousness of God is, is describing the attribute of God, right? that God is righteous. Why? Well, because that's already been revealed. Like we've known that for a long time, even before Jesus Christ came in the flesh and lived and died and rose again. It could also be referring to the action of God, that God would uh, do righteous things, a right thing. That's all the righteous is, is it's right, something that is in right standing. And I don't think that's been revealed, right? Because all throughout human history, in the scriptures, we know that God has done right things. I don't think it's his attribute. I don't think it's his action that's now revealed in the gospel. I think what it is, is it's the power of God to transfer to us that righteousness, to make us righteous, to declare us righteous, to justify us. This is what Paul gets to in Romans 5 that we are declared righteous, not by our work, but by our what? Faith. So he says it's from faith, it's to faith. It is all housed within our trust. It's not our behavior, it's our belief. And he quotes Habakkuk, who was speaking about Israel, who was under attack from these bad guys named the Chaldeans, boo. And while the Chaldeans were wrecking shop, Habakkuk's like, God, what are you doing? God says, I'm gonna allow them to enact my justice, and don't worry, they're gonna get what's coming. But God told Habakkuk, he says, but I want you to know that if you wanna live through this trial and through this tribulation, you gotta have faith. And so Paul says, just as the righteous Israelite lived by faith, so too we are made righteous by faith. That is how we live. And so whereas we might have thought that we were self-reliant, self-dependent, God says, or the, the gospel tells us but that's simply not the case, that we are called to live by faith. That's what the Lord has accomplished. And, and the truth is that we maybe forget to put our trust in the Lord on a day-to-day basis. I do. Because there's a lot of times that I convince myself, like, oh, this conversation or this issue, this problem, this discussion, this is on me, right? I gotta figure this stuff out. And yes, does God give us responsibility? Yes. Does he want us to use discernment and wisdom and and, and have healthy conflict? Yes, he does. But we are fools if we forget that God is with us, that his rod and his staff, they comfort us, that he is leading us beside quiet waters, he's leading us through valleys of darkness and death, that just like Jesus told his followers, he says, I'm with you to the end of the age. So we need to remember and remind ourselves, hey, I, I am actually dependent on the Lord in every circumstance. But again, it's so easy to move past that, to not think 
because there's so many other things that we just, we trust in without even really being mindful of that faith. Like, I'm gonna go out on a limb and say that as you're sitting here, you're probably not thinking about, not worried about, that it, when you get home, that your ceiling in your guest bathroom will have been, is collapsed. Maybe now you're worried about that because you're an Enneagram six and oh, I'll pray for you, right? But that's, that's probably not a concern that you have. It's not a concern that I had a couple weeks ago. But now it's all I think about. <laughs> Just a few weeks ago, my wife was walking down our kid's hallway. It's evening. She walks by their bathroom. The lights are off, but she senses. She's, there's, you know, she's got that mom radar, and she's like, something is wrong. And so she looks back in that bathroom. Sure enough, oh, look at that. We had a leak in our ceiling. It's fixed now. Don't worry. We're okay. But no one was harmed. But the, I don't really think about, oh, my, my ceiling is holding up all the insulation and junk and whatever else is in my attic. I don't think about that. I'm not walking around huh, in fear because I just trust. God says, I want you to trust me day in, day out. That's why Jesus told his followers, he says, you don't need to worry like those who don't know God. Don't worry about what you're gonna eat or what you're gonna drink, about what you're gonna wear, about where you're gonna lay your head. He says, you, God's gonna provide for you. It's not always the thing that you want and the time that you want, but God will provide. And yet there's a part of us that, that thinks that life depends on us when it's simply not true. So praise be to the Lord that he has given us the gospel that overcomes this foolish self-reliance and says, no, you depend on the Lord. And so now, through the gospel, we can be bold in our living and in our sharing. In our, the minutia of day-to-day -day and in our ministry of proclaiming this message to the world around us. We can trust that the Lord has given us, just like Paul, he has given us this powerful message that is meant to be declared and so we ask the Lord boldly for opportunities to share our faith. Gosh, if there's nothing else that we get from the book of Romans over the course of this year, my hope is that the one th if there's one thing we get, it's that we have been entrusted with the most important message that is for all people everywhere. So let's be bold. Let's be bold. As we close our time this morning, we're gonna sing a final song. But before we sing that song, before we sing about the Son of God in power, we're gonna take a little bit of time to pray with one another. Something we do here about once a month is we wanna take time in our Sunday mornings to recognize that, hey, God has put us here for a reason. You're not sitting next to other people by accident. You didn't walk in with these people by accident. God has a plan and a purpose for this time. And so often it's easy for us to forget that, to just kind of all look the same direction and then walk out. But every once in a while, I think it's valuable for us as a church, as a body, to look side to side and say, hey, we're here together, right? God has called us to this life, not as individuals, not as isolated individuals, but instead as a united community. So what we're gonna do is you're gonna find a few people around you uh, maybe they're people that you came in with that you already know them. Awesome, way to go. Good job making friends. Uh, or maybe it's a few people that you don't know. Maybe you're sitting with some friends and you're like, you know what, you guys do you. I'm gonna meet this guy. Like you can, whatever you want, but find a few people, two, three, four people around you 
introduce yourself very briefly, very quickly, and then share, again, briefly, where is it that the Lord is leading you to accept this power of the gospel? Is it in the new identity that it provides? Is it in the new community that it provides? Are, are you being led by the Lord to, to be more bold in sharing this incredible message, to, to live out this, this faith, this new dependency upon the Lord? I don't know where we all are, but, but we can reflect, ask the Lord, and, and share with our neighbors. Say, hey, this is where I need the Lord to give me strength. And this is where I need the Lord to provide opportunity. This is where I need the Lord to just get me going. So you can be as specific or as general as you want. My only request is that you would be brief because the goal this time isn't just to share our hearts. The goal this time is to then pray. So introduce yourself, share briefly, and then pray with one another. Not even just this morning, pray all week. Say, God, I need you to lift up my brother. God, I need you to work in the life of my sister here. God, use the gospel to transform her view of self, of others, of yourself, of you. Share, or introduce, share, and then let's pray. I'll wrap us up in a few minutes. Ready, set, 